Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. Another court ruling on Donald Trump's travel ban, another defeat for the administration. The latest comes from a Richmond-based federal appeals court. The court took a look at the executive order, in particular its 90-day ban on entry into the U.S. by people from six predominantly Muslim countries. And in a 10-3 to decision, the appeals court said the purpose behind the policy was not national security, as the administration contended, but rather anti-Muslim animus. Attorney General Jeff Sessions is vowing to take the issue to the Supreme Court. With us to talk about the ruling and what might be lying ahead in the legal fight over the travel ban is David Beer. He is an immigration policy analyst at the Cato Institute. And David Rivkin. He is a partner at Baker Hostetler. So we'll have dueling Davids today. Uh, David Rivkin, let me start with you. I strongly suspect there are a lot of things you disagree with in this appeals court ruling. We'll try to get to as many as we can, but let me ask you to pick what you think is the most egregious mistake the the court made and tell us about that. Well, the most egregious mistake, and you're right there, many other uh, bad aspects, but the most egregious mistake is willful disregard of binding Supreme Court precedents that are free cases that deal with immigration matters, client-diced, Fialo, and the most recent one is called Kerr versus Din, but make it absolutely abundantly clear that with regard to these types of decisions, it is sufficient for the executive branch to articulate uh, a good faith bona fide explanation as to why this measure is taken. The judiciary is not, repeat, not supposed to look behind it. And even more importantly, it's not supposed to engage in any balancing. To explain very briefly, in domestic line of cases from which they partook, uh, whenever you have somebody who asserts that a governmental action violates the equal protection rights or First Amendment rights or due process rights, the courts engage in balancing. It wouldn't surprise your Listeners, you do the balancing, you have a true master of a decision. You do not do balancing in this space at all. For the courts to do the balancing of a constitutional interest proffered by the plaintiffs against the, 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 the vigor, if you will, the imperative of a governmental reasoning, in effect, would make courts the ultimate decision makers in foreign affairs. This court not only looked beyond the four corners of the explanation in this executive order, which is an appropriate in and of itself, and engaged in balancing, and you found in, in favor of, of the plaintiffs, at least for the in, injunctive purposes. David Beer, that is utterly wrong. David Beer, um, the court said that the executive order was facially legitimate, but it wasn't bona fide, literally meaning in good faith, because um, there was no good faith here by the White House, and the plaintiffs had provided ample evidence that national security was not the true reason for the order. So does that change the game? Right. So I think it really all does come down to some parsing of the Supreme Court uh, precedents here. And uh, what the court said was, looking at this prior court ruling, they said you needed a facially legitimate and bona fide reason uh, to deny a visa. And the question really became, is it facially legitimate and a facially bona fide reason or a facially legitimate reason and an independently 
bona fide reason. And uh, the distinction there is that, you know, if it was a facially bona fide reason, it would just be whatever the government said uh, was, uh, you know, the, the, the reason for the order, they would have to accept it. And the court said, no, we're not going to accept that interpretation of what the, the Supreme Court said. We're going to say, we're going to look behind and analyze the motivation uh, behind this order. And really that parsing of those, those words really is what it's all going to come down to, uh, whose interpretation of this precedent is correct. David Rivkin, under your way of thinking about this case, what do we do with this list of of evidence that the appeals court pointed to for for why it said that national security was not the two reason, the, not the true reason? And I'll just point to a couple couple of the examples. It talked about Donald Trump's initial call for a ban on Muslims entering the U.S. during the campaign, um, and he talked about the court talked about how quickly the first version of this ban was slapped together without any input from national security agencies. Do we just ignore those things? Yes. About yes. Yes. You, yes. Article three federal courts ignore those reasons. Think for a second about the level of presumption, the level of poaching on a territory that belongs to political branches. If the executive wishes to do something quickly in time of war, in time of crisis, the framers would say that speed and dispatch is the essence of being the executive. If you want to do something in a way that's closely held and does not involve the full firmament of government agencies, that may be a policy mistake, but it's not for the judiciary to, 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 to attribute any insidious weight to this. So if a president wants to have a kitchen cabinet decide on some matter versus having an interagency process for months, what is it to the judiciary? But look, the, the, the broader problem to understand is with this approach, and by the way, I happen to strongly disagree with the proposition that Trump is, is a Muslim hater. But let's assume for a second that he is, which again, I don't think is substantiated. On the court's reasoning, this president would be unable to take any action that impacts uh, a Muslim-majority country, including the use of force. You're listening to Bloomberg Law, and we are talking about Donald Trump's travel ban and the federal appeals court ruling that came out late yesterday uh, saying that the president went too far and that the policy was motivated by anti-Muslim animus. We're talking with David Rivkin, a partner at Baker Hostetler, and David Beer, an immigration policy analyst at the Cato Institute. David Beer, uh, we, we've talked about this policy before, and I, I know one argument you've made is that the problem you have with it is a, is a question of the, the immigration laws rather than the Constitution. Correct me if I've, if I've misdescribed your position. But, but I'm wondering whether you think you know, that that sort of argument didn't get a whole lot of traction with this appeals court. They jumped to the bigger constitutional question. Do you think this court was too quick to make this a, a, a full-blown constitutional case over uh, you know, the, the Establishment Clause? Well, it's very atypical for the court to skip over the statutory question and go straight to the constitutional one. And uh, several of the concurring opinions uh, did address this issue. And a uh, majority of them uh, agreed that the president is violating the law uh, as, uh, as Congress has enacted it. Um, I would say one thing. David suggested earlier that the president could never take an adverse action against a Muslim if this decision holds. And like you said, I'm not convinced by the court's constitutional analysis on this point. But that is just plainly false. 
Uh, the president's statements about Muslims were directly tied to the issuance of this order. He said that he wanted to ban all Muslims and later defended this by saying that Islam hates us and that he would expand the original proposal to ban entire Muslim-majority nationalities uh, for the same reasons. At the same time, he has provided no evidence that the purpose of this is national security. So, yes, if he told America that he was taking actions against Muslims because he's biased against Muslims and he refused to provide any good reasons why he needed to take them, then, yes, this decision would apply to those actions. But that's very different from what David suggested. It's not like he's saying Islam hates us untied to anything. He said it in the context of defending, banning them from getting visas to come to the United States. David Rifkin, um, the judges said in the majority order that the order of the president speaks with vague words of national security, but in context drips with religious intolerance, animus, and discrimination. Remarkably harsh words. Is the problem, as David said, that the White House hadn't detailed the risks posed by the people covered by the order? Um, a couple of things, and that also gets into the point made by my colleague. Uh, let me be blunt. It is utterly ill-suited for the judiciary and utterly inconsistent with the judiciary's constitutional authority to be sitting in judgment on whether or not uh, the executive have been articulated, uh, and they said it is, let's be clear, even this opinion says that it is perfectly reasonable, perfectly plausible reason. Uh, which is you want to slow down the presentation rate of individuals from certain countries that are plagued by jihadi violence. You want to give opportunities to our law enforcement uh, uh, agencies that are already stretched pretty thin to be able to deal with uh, investigations and, and sort of new uh, challenges better. Perfectly plausible reason. It is utterly inappropriate for judiciary to be sitting in judgment on it and, and, and trying to do their own risk assessment or quote former government officials that take a different position. That is utterly inappropriate. And But let me also say, and again, not the proper judicial role, apropos the point made by David, I would argue that under the court's reasoning, any if, if President Trump, for example, to institute an economic embargo against certain countries, which he can do both on its own authority, but also because Congress issued a number of cross, uh, issued, excuse me, enacted a number of cross-cutting statutes to give President that authority, uh, and justified on national security grounds, saying we want to hurt the economies because they're supporting jihadis, okay? Um, under the reasoning of this court, uh, the argument would be, oh, this is just a pretext. This is just nonsense. He's saying it because he hates Muslims, okay? Now, they may decide in the infinite wisdom, doing the balancing, that that is not uh, appropriate uh, um, uh, to, to conclude that, but they would be in the driver's seat, David Beer, um, l let me ask you, as we look towards the Supreme Court, uh, the Attorney General Jeff Sessions has said that's where we're going next. Uh, what are you envisioning there? Is this going to be uh, a close case? I think it's definitely going to be a close case. And uh, you, really, you've seen quite a few uh, different judges from across the country issuing rulings, some of them appointed by Republicans, some of them appointed by Democrats. Uh, who have found this uh, to be a plausible case, uh, whether the statutory one or the constitutional one. 
Um, what will be interesting, however, is if the Ninth Circuit case, the, the Hawaii uh, decision that's been appealed to the to the Ninth Circuit, if the Ninth Circuit agrees with the Fourth Circuit, there really isn't a court split here. That doesn't mean that the Supreme Court couldn't still review it, um, but it would be interesting if you had two, uh, you know, uh, different uh, uh, appeals courts agreeing that the the president is violating the law. Uh, that would uh, put the plaintiffs on a stronger position than um, in prior cases. Well, we will, we will definitely be watching for that. The Ninth Circuit decision could come out any day, uh, and the argument suggested they will indeed agree with the Fourth Circuit. Uh, the administration could ask the Supreme Court uh, to intervene immediately and enter an emergency order that would uh, put the policy back in place while the litigation plays out. I want to thank our guests, David Beer of the Cato Institute, David Rivkin of Baker Hostetler. Coming up, we are going to talk about that Washington Post report that says that FBI investigators in the Russia probe are looking at Jared Kushner as a focus of their investigation. That's all coming up on Bloomberg Law. This is Bloomberg. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.